everybody. This is the Enlighten Me podcast, and I'm your host, Mackenzie. Thanks for tuning in. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. For this episode, I interviewed Cyril Prabhu, who is the founder of Proverbs 226 Ministries. What Proverbs 226 does is they work with families in prison, specifically with children whose parents are incarcerated, and they work to break the cycle that we call the prison pipeline. So in this conversation, we're talking about mass incarceration and the problem that is recidivism, specifically in the United States. If you haven't heard of these terms before, don't worry, we're going to define them for you. But the rate at which we have people going to prison in this country is such a problem. And like I mentioned, Cyril and his organization are working specifically with children because it is said that up to 80% of children with parents in prison will end up in prison themselves. The mass amounts of people that we have incarcerated at this time cost taxpayers upwards of $74 billion per year. That is a lot of money going into our prison systems. So Cyril is working to prevent this from even being an issue. Something that Cyril and I reference in this conversation is the documentary 13th that's available on Netflix. If you have not seen it, I highly, highly recommend you go watch it. That's where I first learned about this issue and you're going to learn so much from it. So add that to your movie watching list, okay? Because it's going to share even more about this issue and the unjust numbers of people in our prison systems today. I think this is a really relevant topic right now, especially with an election approaching in the United States. It can help us as we think about who we want to vote for and what policies we want to look into. And Cyril actually talks more about that in this conversation. But it's also relevant just as humans, especially people who are raising children or maybe work around children. So no matter what country you're in, I hope you're able to take something away from this conversation. I would love it if while you're listening, you would go leave a rating and a review over on iTunes, even if that's not the platform that you listen on. Sharing that on iTunes really helps other people to find the show, and I really, really appreciate it. I promise it's not just about me feeling good about myself, but it really does help to spread the word on these important topics that we're covering. While you're over there, make sure you're subscribed so you get notified anytime there's a new episode. And don't even worry about taking notes because you can find all those over there too. So here is my conversation with Cyril Prabhu. Hello, Cyril, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to this this afternoon. Yeah. For me to just like to spend some time with your um, audience. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat with you and learn from you. So can you just start with telling everybody who you are and a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. I'm Cyril Prabhu. I'm a founder of Proverbs 2 to 6. This is a ministry that works throughout the North Carolina, South Carolina, South Dakota, and Texas. And uh, what we do is we work with kids whose parents are in prison. We work with them to help them to break the cycle. When you think about like uh, the prison industry at large, one of the biggest things that's happening right now is the number of kids that are coming into prison that are below the age 18. So what we do is to fight against the generational recidivism. That's what Proverbs 36 is about. That's amazing. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today with recidivism and the incarceration problem in our country. Can you first tell us, though, how you started this ministry and and what made you want to start it in the first place? Absolutely. The, The reason why that just got me started on this one is all started from when I came into this country in 1993. Right after I came over to this country, I was taken down at a gunpoint and I was locked up in a dark room and I almost lost my life. Oh my goodness. And the thing is that right after that, you know, I was almost like E.T. I wanted to go home. I didn't want to be here because I've never seen gun in my life, but to go through an experience like that was really hard. Wow. And so right after that, that, you know, I was trying to go home, uh, but for some reason it wasn't happening. I would go to church and the church Mm -hmm. will be talking on forgiveness. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to forgive these guys, you know. Uh, And I would come out and change the church. I will go to another church and they will have a series on forgiveness, right? Uh-huh. And I would come out, there would be like a billboard that says, Jesus loves you, forgive them, you know. Uh, yeah. For almost like a three months, it was a torture. <laughs> and so right after that, you know, I said like, God, what do you want me to do? You know, and yeah. that's when I first started to see 
what was happening with the lives of these children and as well as the inmates, the prison system, because my day job is data mining. So mm -hmm. if you have like a millions of rows that, you know, people like me are invited to just like help navigate this data. And so when I started to look at the, uh, this prison system in this country, it was just alarming to me how the system's broken and uh, you know i don't want to use the word broken but it's like a too deep of a problem and we are not addressing the real issues mm -hmm. and so that's what led me into digging deeper into this effort and one led to the other i started mining all this data and, that, and that's when i first found out how we are now so vulnerable as a nation to just like send kids into prison that are below the age 18. So we, we people talk about like a mass incarceration and things like that. But you know, the biggest thing that is facing this nation, the number one epidemic that nation this nation faces is the number of children below the age 18 that go to prison, jail, or some correctional system. Mm. If we don't address this issue, if we don't correct this problem, then we are going to have a larger issue 5, 10, 15 years from now. So that's what we wanted to address as part of Problem Street 6. Wow, yeah. That is a crazy story, but so cool that you turned that terrible experience into something so amazing. And how did you pick the name Proverbs 226? Ah, so we wanted to work with the kids, mm -hmm. right? And... Um, one of the biggest difficulty in this whole scene that we are dealing with with the children of inmates is that there is no benchmark, there is no mentoring, there is no, um, you know, kind of like a, a structured way to teach these kids uh, about like, a, you know, the fatherhood and the, how they are supposed to be uh, leading their life. And I found what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, aptly fit into this. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Mm -hmm. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Mm -hmm. The Bible doesn't say, train up a child in the way his father went or his mother went, which is what the society normally drives us to. But there is a bent. There is a way by which we need to raise these children and the, the children are built to be, uh, you know, a certain bend. Yeah. And if they don't understand their identity and their bend, when they get older, they, they're just like picking up what the social media says, what the uh, regular media says, and they're just like a bought into what the mainstream media is directing them instead of like what they were created to achieve. Mm -hmm. And so... That's how Proverbs 22.6 came into picture. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. And and I don't know this about you, but where is home originally for you? Uh, for me, it's India. Oh, okay. Uh, I grew up in the southern part of India. This is in uh, Chennai, which is uh, uh, near the Sri Lanka and uh, the tip of India, the southern tip of India. Okay. Right? I grew up um, till I was 23 over there, and then I came here to work. Okay, wow. What was, if you don't mind telling us, and if you don't want to, that's okay, but do you mind telling us just a little bit more about how how you had that encounter where you were held at gunpoint? Of course. When I came into this country, the first thing any Indian guy does is to buy a computer, uh -huh. because that's how, you know, we are... In, trained in, 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 our, in our mindset. Uh -huh. So during that time, there are companies like Fry's and CompUSA, they were the ones who were selling these computers. Uh -huh. And they were so expensive. Uh -huh. And so because it was so expensive, I, I wanted to make sure that we, we can just like buy it for a lesser price. So there was a company called Supercomputers in San Leandro, California. Uh -huh. And these guys were assembling computers. And so it was a big warehouse where they assembled these computers. So I had ordered the computer. And the sales guy said it's $1,475. Mm -hmm. I was brand new in this country. 
So I took like a $1,500 bill, right? Because I didn't want to take like a $20 bill to go to my store. Mm -hmm. And so when I went there, the guy said like, he didn't have a change for $100 bills. So I said, okay, no problem. Hold on to my $1,400. Let me go get the change. So I'm on the streets of San Leandro, California, mm -hmm. uh, walking around with a $100 bill asking people for a change. Yeah. <laughs> And everybody was just like running away from me. Like, you know, why is this Asian guy running around with a $100 bill? <laughs> or where did he get the $100 bill kind of a look, right? Yeah. So after 30, 35 minutes, got the change, went back up. It was on the second floor. When I went there, the guy who took my 1400 is not there. Oh, no. There were three or four other guys that were standing on the counter. They said, come on in, your friends are here. So as I walk in, they closed the shutters and they pulled the gun. Oh my gosh. And they were saying like, face down, face down, don't look at us, face down. In my mind, it's not still sinking, the guns can shoot. Yeah. So I pushed their guns and I was looking for my $1,400. And the thing is that in my mind, it is only like, you know, there are two guys who can shoot, Clint Eastwood <laughs> on the streets of San Francisco and Rambo in the forest. Right? <laughs> And these guys, you know, thought I was macho guy, did not respect the gun, so they pushed me to the floor, they tied my hands to the back, and they dragged me into this dark room. And in the dark room, I saw the sales guy who took my $1,400, was tied up just like wow. me. And so, you know, these guys were running around, they, they stole about $1.5 million worth of uh, equipments that night. And uh, after like a 45 minutes or an hour, they, when they left, they shot a couple of times in the air just to, to scare you. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we rolled up against each other, untied ourselves, got our money back. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Oh, that, that part, like, uh, you know, the sales guy had my $1,400 in his pocket. So they checked everywhere, but not his pocket. So I got my money back that night. <laughs> So I didn't lose anything except for that whole experience. Right. Almost like a near death. You know, yeah. I saw my death almost close to my eyes. Yeah. And that's wow. what changed my life. Yeah. Wow. That's that's insane. I mean, that would be terrifying for anybody, let alone someone who is brand new mm -hmm. in a foreign country. So Absolutely. I can only imagine. But again, that's it's really cool that God used that to lead you to start something that you know, you're doing such amazing work through. So, so, you know, some people I think don't fully understand the issues that we have, you know, with our, with our justice system in this country and with imprisonment. So if people don't know, do you mind just kind of describing the problem of mass incarceration and, and defining what recidivism is? Absolutely. The thing is a lot of times people think that, uh, this issue of incarceration is like a very race-centric. Uh -huh. Some people think it's like African-American issue because they see a lot of African-Americans on TV, mm -hmm. on radio, and so on and so forth. Right? But the thing is, if you come back to the root of this problem, the incarceration in this country, we are very, for the number of people that are in this country, we are absolutely unequally incarcerating people. Yeah. We are only 5% of world's population, whereas we are 25% of world's incarceration. Wow. If you take all the people that are in prison across this globe and put them as a nation, we contribute 25% of world's incarceration. Wow which is, you know, much alarming. That's why people say mass incarceration, right? But but the thing is, if you think about the issues that, that we face um, in this nation, the root of this problem actually stems not from someone being an African-American. Mm -hmm. If you think about an African-American population, one out of three African-American men in large cities are in prison. Mm. And the thing is that any African-American child that does not complete high school has a huge probability of going into a prison, jail, or die before the age 30. 
So wow. initially, when I started mining this data, I thought all the patterns were pointing to this is an African American issue. But then I found out that, like you know, in the Hispanics and the Latino population, mm-hmm. also a huge number of Latinos are in prison as well. Mm-hmm. And what is the commonality between two population is that. You know, in one end, we're putting all these men and fathers into prison. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, in the Latino population, the number of women that are giving birth, eight out of 10 Latino women in this nation that are giving birth are single moms. Mm-hmm. And so the, the thing is that, you know, the commonality between these two populations is that they don't have the men or the fathers at home. If only we can address the fatherlessness in this nation, the crime in this country will come down. Mm. So that's why the market mass incarceration cannot be equated to any particular race or gender. That particular jailing has to stop, you know. Mm-hmm. But the recidivism, on the other hand, is a term used for when someone gets released out of the prison within the first 30 to 90 days they go back into prison that term recidivism is a measure to see how many people or what percentage of people go back into the prison after being released and the national recidivism rate is anywhere between 70 to 80 percent which means like if a person gets released from prison their probability of going back into prison is somewhere in the range of 70 to 80 percent. That's why recidivism is definitely a big issue. But what we are facing as a nation is no longer the recidivism as an issue. It's the generational recidivism. It's the number of children that has a father or mother in prison ending up going into prison. Mm. And so if you think about this problem of recidivism, this issue of recidivism, if that is the only issue that this nation faces, then when Chuck Colson started Prison Fellowship in 1975, we had 250,000 people in prison. Today we have 2.3 million people in prison. The nation hasn't grown by 450% for us to have this many people in prison. Mm -hmm. There are other contributing factors like drugs uh, in the early part of the 80s and uh, middle 80s. We had the war on drugs, uh, three strikes, you're out. There's so many of these rules and policies uh, that we put in place has caused these things to happen. But now what is causing this nation a mass incarceration is no longer the recidivism is a threat. It's the generational recidivism that is threatening the prison system. The number of children below the age 18 that are going into prison who has a father and mother already serving time in prison. Yeah. And so since you're in the data, why is recidivism such a problem? Why why can't we keep people out of jail? Two things. Why is recidivism a problem? Because if they continue to go back in, you're now growing this prison population. That's what happened. We started with the 200, 250,000 people in 1975. Today we have like a 2.3 million people in prison and about 7.4 million people that go in and out of the prison system or jail or some criminal justice system every single day. So if you continue to have like a new population coming in and the old population returning, then the prison's going to get jammed and the population is going to grow. That's why recidivism is an issue that a lot of people try to address, mm. including Chuck Olson and all these efforts that are going on in this nation is trying to address that recidivism as an issue. Yeah. Now, as, as we go through this, why are these people going back into prison? Several reasons. Number one, when they come out of the prison, they don't have a way to stabilize themselves. People don't give them jobs that easily. They don't find work, nor the place to stay, nor the food, nor the family. I mean, there's a lot of these basic necessities that they need are missing. Mm -hmm. So 
At one point, he loses himself, even though he comes out of the prison with an attitude to stay outside. But the society hasn't given him a fair chance to fight this battle. Mm-hmm. If you don't give them the fair chance to fight this battle, what's going to happen is you're going to let these people go back into prison. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, what is happening is like, you know, also during this winter time when it is cold, when it is snow and things like that, they're also, when they become like a homeless or when they are roaming on the streets, they don't have a way. Out of frustration, they just make a mistake and they find themselves ending up in prison again. Yeah. Wow, that it's I mean just hearing those statistics are really crazy and I think it's something that you know people might know generally like the term mass incarceration but they might not fully understand what a crisis it really is especially now and just it seems like a really growing problem too. Right. You mentioned how it's not necessarily a racial issue. The issue of race is is factored in there because it's unjust when we look at the numbers of people of color in prison versus white people, I guess. Yeah. But like you were saying, it's not necessarily because of race that people are in jail, but it's more the issue of such young people going into jail and people without fathers in their homes and so can you talk more about that what you found sure. like what yeah why are you know this could be a whole nother podcast episode but the issues that i i would call it a crisis of how many children are growing up without fathers so can you talk more about that right first let me talk about the race yeah people often think that african-americans get like a more sentencing or they get like a very biasedly you know, placed in prison, they get like a more jail time, they get like a longer sentence and so on. I don't want to go too far in that line, but I wanted to say this. Mm -hmm. Even though we have a lot of African-Americans or Latinos in prison, if you look at the root cause of this problem, it has nothing to do with the race or gender. Mm -hmm. When we had a war on drugs in the 80s, we, we, we had put like all the people that were selling drugs into prison. During that time, the guys who were selling drugs happened to be African-Americans and Latinos that ended up being in this prison. Now, if this has happened to a white Caucasian male that they were in, now we would have had like a lot of white people in prison. So mm-hmm. it was circumstantial that it just drove this situation that we are in right now mm-hmm. if you look at the core of this problem taking away the race taking away the color and everything the the bottom line is that the men are missing in the lives of these children mm-hmm. the fathers are being missing in the lives of these children if only we can bring the fathers because 25 million households in this nation don't have fathers at home mm-hmm. and so the the thing is like 85 percent of the men that are serving time in prison today grew up without fathers yeah we are replicating this fatherlessness so quick and these fathers who are serving time now in prison did not have fathers to grow with and so they don't know how to father the next generation mm-hmm. So it's a generational curse that needs to be broken. And the second epidemic that this nation faces is a lack of education. The thing is, one out of eight kids that goes to elementary school does not finish high school. Mm. And every year, about 6.6 million children are dropping out of high school or schools in general. And one out of eight kids that does not complete high school ends up being in a jail, prison, or some criminal justice system. That's why nationally, 75% of the crime that's committed in this country are done by high school robots. So if only we can address the fatherlessness, Mm -hmm. if only we can address the lack of education and bringing the the importance of education back into the lives of these children definitely we will see 
the client founder. Yeah, it's so interesting because I have done a little bit of research on this topic, not a lot, but I really haven't heard of anyone addressing the heart of the issue like you are. I think it's it's really cool. And like you said, it does tend to become a race-centered conversation when it's not, you know, we're, we're maybe missing the mark if we're only focusing on that. So I do think that's really interesting. And I was hoping you could talk to about how people might not realize that this is a issue that really affects everybody in our country, right? It affects the whole public. I've heard before that with mass incarceration, it, it can be a moneymaker for certain people and certain organizations that own prisons, while at the same time costing us, the general public, a lot of money. So can you talk about that side of the, the problem? Sure. When we started this effort in uh, 2012, right, we have talked about like a how this nation is spending, was spending about $89 billion a year. And uh, at that time, we predicted that this cost of putting people inside the prison is going to increase. And now in the next 10 to 15 years, that this is going to increase from $89 billion industry to $330 billion industry. And people said, ah, that's ridiculous. This is not possible. That's a huge claim and so on and so forth. In fact, I wrote a book about my journey. And in the book, I have tracked this, documented this information in 2012. Whereas when we looked at the numbers in 2019, end of 2019, how much we have spent money on prisons and corrections, uh, it is about $189 billion. Wow. We are halfway through that mark of like what we predicted in 2012. This is going to affect the cost. Um, this cost is going to affect the taxpayers, right? So there is an economical argument about like a mass incarceration or putting people into prison in this humongous amount or, um, you know, is going to cost this nation uh, on the long run, right? Now, is this an industry? Is prison an industry? Of course, just like a medical, just like a bank, just like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, hospitals, uh, prison is an industry. There is a, you know, huge industry built around it. And we can have like a, absolutely a separate conversation to go deeper dive onto that one. But the thing is, you know, instead of going after the prison industry and causing more grief and fighting against that, you know, instead of, you know, fighting against the external variables, let's fight the internal variables. The internal variables are bringing fathers back into the lives of these children mm -hmm. uh, and, and bringing education back into the lives of these children. Mm -hmm. Those are something that, that is within the circle of influence than the circle of concern, mm -hmm. right? So if only we can fix what we can fix, then what we cannot will fix will fix itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that's a perfect segue into what I want to ask you next. I want to talk about what Proverbs 2.2.6 does that you think is more effective than maybe how current methods are attempting to address this. But first, can you talk about are there any current intervention methods that maybe like our government has imposed or that other larger organizations have implemented to try to address the issue and, and why those aren't as effective? Sure. There are so many uh, organizations that are amazing, amazing work in trying to address this problem. But uh, if you think about like a big brother, big sister kind of organization, what do they do? They go into the cities. They are trying to help these children by putting like uh, some big brother or big sister around them. Amazing concept, right? But what happens is when they happen to pick a child that has a father or mother in prison and they try to invest in the lives of these children. And when the father comes out of the prison, he comes in and he could potentially damage the, the lifestyle of these children mm -hmm. and leaves these children in a much worse condition yeah. than what they were before. Sure. 
right? And so the, there are different models that are existing uh, in this space. Uh, and people tend to go in silos. They tend to go into prisons and uh, they do Bible studies and uh, church services. And, uh, um, you know, I see a lot of Muslim brothers doing an amazing job inside the prison. The, the thing is, all these are good work and I'm not putting any of them down. Right. But what happens is like, uh, you know, it's not producing the results that we are looking for. Yeah. It hasn't uh, worked in the full holistic way. If you look at, uh, you know, what Albert Einstein is talking about, when you have a problem that you created and you need to change or bring a different result to this problem, then you need a paradigm shift. You cannot be doing the exact same thing and expect a different result. That's insanity. Mm -hmm. And so... We have to try something different, and that's what we are doing. Without putting down all these great, amazing organizations that are doing an amazing work, what we are doing is we are bringing the children and the father who are serving time inside the prison together. We are trying to make a platform where the father is actually part of the solution rather than he is seen as an issue. We are bringing the mothers and the caregivers of the children together into the same place where they can meet and sit down and work this problem out. And if we try to solve this problem in silos, we will never be able to get to the end of it. So what Proverbs 2 to 6 is doing is taking these children into the prison where the father or mother is serving time. And the father and mother who is serving time in prison, this is how they start their journey. They have to get on their knees and wash their children's feet and ask for forgiveness. That's the very first thing that they need to do. Wow. They, they physically do that? That That's literal? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, last year we did 48 out of 52 weekends. We were able to take these children inside the prison and the fathers were washing their children's feet and asking for forgiveness. Before they even ask for forgiveness, they write down a letter and that letter is being read to their children. This is not like a group forgiveness. If they have two or three children, they cannot be doing like a one letter saying to all of them, please forgive me. They have to take time to deal with each and every one of these children. Wow, that's so cool. And so once they wash their children's feet and ask, uh, you know, what we do is like we put a brand new shoes on their feet, symbolically letting the child know you don't need to follow the footsteps of your father or your mother. Let me take your old way of thinking. Let me take what mm-hmm. is there in front of you and let me put something new in your feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then what we do also is during the day, we take the entire family into the prison and we allow the fathers or mother, whoever is serving time, sit down as a family to have lunch together. It's mm-hmm. about like a six to eight hours that we spend time inside the prison. And during that time, we celebrate all their missed birthdays. Mm-hmm. During that time, we take a portrait, a family portrait. During that time, we have the father and the kids and their family mm-hmm. members. They work together as a family to solve problems. Enjoy the family time, just like how they would spend time in their own Uh, kitchen or dining area in their homes Mm -hmm. what it does is it brings the human part of this person restored in them it restores dignity in them and what happens is like you know during that time these fathers when they're washing their children's feet Mm -hmm. they're not just washing their children's feet they're kissing their children's feet and asking for forgiveness and from that point you know, what we have seen, we are data guys, right? We are measuring all this data. What we have found is that these children whose feet are getting washed are now doing well in their school. They are doing well in society. And the fathers who are washing their feet, they're doing well inside the prisons. 
they're not getting into a disciplinary actions. And so this changes everything for the father inside the prison, as well as the children outside. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is like, you know, they tend to come together as a family to solve this problem. If you think about it, when a guy gets like a five-year sentence or 10-year sentence and they leave the scene of their home, unless the mm-hmm. home or the, 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 the mother or the father or somebody in the home is trying to keep the family united, oftentimes these families are broken and the children are growing up without the father. And if even if they come back after 10 years or 15 years, the kids knew how to grow up without their dads and they don't have a space for their dads when they come out of the prison. So what we are doing is we are interjecting that, you know, we are cognitively changing their mindset to introduce that part of their Mm. brain where they're losing each other to be connected back. And it just creates a family atmosphere for them. Wow, that's really cool. And I know to me and probably to the average person who doesn't really have experience being inside a prison or working with inmates or anything like that, this sounds like intimidating work. Do you ever have like pushback or issues when you're trying to work with families? See, first of all, you know, people have to realize even the person on the other side who are serving time in prison, he's a human being. Mm-hmm. They need a second chance. Yeah. You know, if only God hasn't given us the second chance, I, I don't think we will, any, any one of us will ever survive this life right right and and the thing is that uh, yes it is intimidating yes it's a prison but what happens is like you are not going to be in the yard where all these things happen you are actually in a much secured environment you are inside the chapel you are inside Mm -hmm. an environment where you are in between a lot of these men with their family members and children even when you have like a maximum security prison um, you you would see that these men are actually treating everyone with so much of respect. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thing is that inside that room, they know what they are getting at this moment in time is, is a privilege. Yeah. What they know is this is what they were craving for, which is a time with their children, and they don't want to jeopardize that. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, they will treat everyone with a lot of respect. And also they will treat the situation as an advantage for them to just like get a chance back into the lives of their wives and children and their mothers and their fathers. Yeah. And then the other thing that we are also doing is like we are allowing these men to get on their knees and wash their own mother's feet and their wife's feet and ask for forgiveness as well. The core of Proverbs 2 to 6 is built on forgiveness. Mm -hmm. If only we know how to just like work out all their hurts and pain and give a chance for the father to put a medicine into the hearts of these children and these family members, then over a period of time that that medicine will start to work and that you, when you give a body a fighting chance, the body will have like an a, a absolute interest to heal what was broken. Mm-hmm. And I, I should have asked this earlier, but, you know, we've talked a lot about fathers. Do you work with women as well who are incarcerated? Absolutely. We work with both the men and the women's prison. Okay. And uh, the reason why I talk quite a bit about the fathers is because... If you think about the prison system at large, uh-huh. you would see like a uh, 80 to 90 percent of these uh, prison population is actually men. Mm-hmm. Only like a 10 to 20 percent are women. Okay. Right. So the the thing is that uh, it is always the the population that's uh, majority of the population inside the prison system. It happens to be men. So that's why if you start to address the 80% of the problem, you know, you will you will not get to uh, anywhere. But if you can address the 20% of the problem, you will be able to much quickly get to the bottom of this. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, so how long have you been running Proverbs 226 now? Uh, since 2012, January 7th, 2012. Okay. And so uh, in this last eight years, um, yeah. we have grown from being in one prison to second prison to now we are in 26 prisons. Wow, and, that's amazing. And uh, we are in four states right now. But uh, I don't think we have even you know, scratch the surface of right. this problem. We, we still have a long way to go. Yeah. Between North and South Carolina, we have in South Carolina, I believe we have 21 prisons. And in North Carolina, we have like a 54 prisons. So okay. we're talking about like a, between North and South Carolina, over 70 prisons. And yeah. we are only in 20 uh, yeah. in this 26 and 20 in this area and so yeah. it's a it's a long way to go yeah. but every day is a fight every day is like a, a battle this is a war this is a war against our children not from the government not from the uh, authorities it's a, an enemy who's just like you know causing our children to be an, uh, a victim of uh, the crime yeah yeah I think you're right so in eight years, like you said, there's still a lot more work to do. But what results have you seen? Like, how, how do you feel like this is really working? Impacted. Yeah. Absolutely. A couple of things. When we started the mission, we wanted to send these kids to college and pay scholarship uh-huh. for them. Right. The first year, there were 59 kids that were in uh, that age group of 15 through 18. Mm-hmm. Right. When we made the phone calls, we found out. 30 out of the 59 were already in prison. Mm-hmm. 19 of them were pregnant, could not go to school. And 10 of them were doing 6th and 7th grade when they were supposed to be doing 11th or 12th mm-hmm. grade. Right? First year, we could not even find one kid to, you know, that could go to college. The second year, because these fathers were washing their children's feet and starting to heal and the things were starting to change, the second year we were able to send three kids to college than eight kids Mm. to college and uh, you know 40 and uh, 45 and 60 now we have 60 Mm -hmm. kids in college right every five children that we stop from going into a prison will save this nation one million dollars in their lifetime based on the study done by university of columbia it cost about two hundred and eighty thousand dollars per person you know, who has at least gone to prison one time, if you can stop that cycle, right? So we have that measure that is allowing us to see how we are able to year over year, try to send these kids over to college. The second thing is that inside the prison, the disciplinary action, we did study only in one prison, but the disciplinary action, which is usually the mistakes that uh, these men or women do inside the prison are tracked as a disciplinary uh, actions, right? Mm-hmm. In one prison, pericorrectional, it has come down by 85%. Mm, that's amazing. Which means like uh, inside the prison, these men are starting to behave better. Yeah. Because uh, one of the things that we have is like they have to be disciplinary free in order for them to participate in this program. And so, which is enforcing positively in their lives to do right things, even though while they are serving time in prison, you know, is is a a sentence by itself, they don't need to increase or aggravate that part, right? That's number two. Number three, the recidivism, national recidivism is at 70%. If you go to prison one time, your chance of coming back in is about 70%. Mm-hmm. Whereas if the fathers that has washed their children's feet through Proverbs 2 to 6, we did the study in Kersha Correctional, 326 men that has gone through and washed their children's feet and been part of Proverbs 2 to 6, out of which the government expects about 270 or 280 to come back into the prison in the first 30 to 90 days. Whereas... Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the ones that are part of Proverbs 2 to 6, only 6 out of the 326 return mm-hmm. back into prison. That's 1.8% coming 
compared wow. to a national 70%. This is a wow. tangible evidence. We are proving that this is working. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's so cool to see those results and and just know that you're, you know, not just affecting one person, but affecting a whole family and the the legacy of the families that will come after them. So that's amazing. Now, people are hearing this and, you know, I think on one hand, it's such a sad problem that we talked about at the beginning because it just truly impacts the children and the families who are already so vulnerable. You know, it tends Mm -hmm. to be affecting people who are already living in poverty and, you know, already living a single mom or whatever it is, these people who already are so vulnerable. And so it's that's part of why it's such a sad issue. You know, it's not just that, like, these people just make more bad decisions than anybody else. But at the same time, what you're sharing is so encouraging that there is a tangible way to solve this problem. What can we do to be a part of problem solving? What do you think the general public needs to know or needs to do to help solve this this crisis? The number one thing I see as a way is if there is a someone who's listening to this has a father, a mother in prison, mm-hmm. or a family that's impacted by the crime, what I would say is instead of like, uh, you know, having the anger and frustration against the person that's already serving time in prison, mm-hmm. if we can only pay attention to helping these children to go to school, mm-hmm. and if only they can help these children to you know forgive the person who has already done the damage and uh, you know sometimes it's very hard to forgive i i I don't deny that it's very hard to um, go through what they're going through but Mm -hmm. what i would say is like you know if only you carry this whole anger frustration vengeance and all these things in your heart what's going to happen is like uh, over a period this is going to act as a poison in your mind and in your heart so i would like to encourage them to just like uh, go past that part and ask god to heal you you know and if you are in um someone who's listening you have no one in prison or you have nothing to do with the prison system but you want to help this mission we are always looking for help whether it is charleston columbia greenville doesn't matter where in South Carolina, we are looking for help. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we have events that are happening almost uh, every weekend in a, in a given year. And we want mm-hmm. you to come and see how you can be part of those prison events and help these children to heal. Mm-hmm. If you are an educator, we are looking for educators to help us to mentor our children and uh, we will be happy to connect and talk to you and understand what your passion is because we have at this point close to 10,000 children in this program. Mm -hmm. We're looking for mentors. We're looking for life coaches who can help our high school students, who can help, uh, you know, with the tutoring, math and science and English for our children. We have tools like a Khan Academy, but we are looking for someone who can actually help us in in mentoring these children. And if you are like a business owner and you say you don't have a time, but I want to see how I can help more than you putting money or resources into this effort that we are going through. Come and see, mm-hmm. come and be part of this. And uh, over a period, if you have a ways to help in, you know, supplying food or, you know, getting a, a T-shirt for these children or school supplies, because during the summertime, we take school supplies into the prison and we turn the prison into Walmart. We allow the kids to shop with their dads and pack the bags before they go back to school. Mm-hmm. During the winter time, we take the girls into the prison because one of the biggest danger for this program is these young girls getting pregnant mm. at the age of 12 and 13. And we want to stop these children from getting into trouble. And so the fathers get a chance to dance with their daughters. 
mm-hmm. letting them know how precious and beautiful she is and how much he loves her. The more that she hears the assurance and affirmation from their fathers that she is beautiful and she's being loved, no one on the streets can use those lines to get these girls pregnant. Right. And those are the things that people can do to help in, in elevating this issue. And I'm not saying Proverbs 2 to 6 is the only ministry that you should be part of. Any right. ministry that helps these children to cope up with this problem is what we need to go after. Yeah, absolutely. And to expand on that, this might be a loaded question, but I'm wondering if you have any tips or words of wisdom that people should consider. You know, I think you said it well when you said it's not... We, we have to be careful not to villainize our government, I think, in thinking that they're just out to get people and put them in prison. But, you know, we do have an election coming up and maybe prison reform or, you know, just the topic of mass incarceration or recidivism is something we want to look into with the officials that we're electing into office. So do you have any tips on what to look out for when it comes to policy with with this topic? Uh, it's definitely a loaded question. <laughs> uh, I do not have like a, a very straightforward answer for this uh-huh. one because uh, the issues that we are facing are so um, different. Not yeah. one, if this issue could have been solved with the money, we would have solved this problem long time ago. Yeah. This is not a question of money or programs or policy. This mm-hmm. is an issue of the heart. Yeah. This is an issue of healing the hearts and uh, mending the hearts. And so a lot of times what happens is like we are doing very superficial, shallow effort in solving this problem. And that's why this is not getting resolved. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that, uh, you know, an easy, simple solution for this problem as well. The current solution is build more prisons. Mm-hmm. If someone does wrong things, let's build more prisons. Yeah. And I know that, uh, you know, the, the current administration as well as uh, the earlier administration under Pre- President Obama and now even President Trump is trying sincerely to make efforts to end, it's always like a bipartisan effort when it comes to prison reform. So I, I, I think they they have their hearts in the right place. The problems that we have created did not happen overnight. We just created this problem over the last 10, 15, 20 years. So it's very hard to untangle a lot of these things. When we did yeah. the three strikes, you're out, you know, those kind of things put like a lot of people into prison. The war on drugs put a lot of people in prison. And now uh-huh. we're trying to solve these things, you know, in in silos. Giving them a job alone is not going to solve this problem. Giving them uh, life skills like, you know, is not going to solve the problem. It is to bring the families together. If you unite the family together and help them to fight this battle, then we have a better chance of fixing this problem. Uh-huh. And so when it comes to the policies, when it comes to the criminal justice reform, all that is necessary. A lot of times my observation looking at it is like these are done to uh, help the guys coming out of the prison and so on. Those are good, but, uh, you know, we need to prevent before these things happen. And the thing is that, you know, that's what uh, our fight has always been. Like, uh, you prevent this from happening to these children. And if you tighten that pipeline that's feeding into the system, eventually the crime in this country will come down. Mm-hmm. We as a nation has to pay attention more to education. We as a nation have to pay more attention to the fatherlessness. We as a nation have to pay more attention to God. Mm-hmm. We've taken God out of schools, prayer out of schools. We have taken the benchmark out. We have to bring it back into the lives of these people. That's what is important. We have taken what are the basic necessities of this life, and then we are trying to solve the effects, then the cause. Mm-hmm. And so any new administration that's going to come or the administration that is currently in place, they have to pay attention to education. 
We have all mm-hmm. that education cannot be a policy or a legislation. That is a family affair. Mm-hmm. When did this become a nat- a government's job? This is a the parents' job. Yeah. And and the thing is, raising the children, uh, you know, is not the government's job. It's the people's job. Going right. to school. I grew up from India, right? And mm-hmm. India, if I say go to my home and just like I say I'm going to play cricket, uh, they will just slap me on my head and say, "Go to school, get your education mm-hmm. first, then you can play as much as you want." Mm-hmm. The same thing we have to tell our children. You know, I'm not against NFL, NBA. How many NFL players? How many NBA players are out there? You cannot have that many people can occupy or you know the jobs for 320 million people in nfl and nba we have to have other jobs that we need to go to and get educated first and we're paying so much attention to other things so i would say this is not an issue of policy or issue of legislation this is a a family affair and i also think the church has to play its rightful role. The church is not playing the rightful role right now. Yeah. Even though I'm a faith-based Christian organization, I mm-hmm. feel like, oh my God, when will the church wake up? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's I think that's true. I think that's good. To, I, I think it can be easy to put, as an individual, to put things off on, man, the government really needs to address that. Right. And obviously they play a role, but I think you're right to call everybody out and say you know we all we all play a part in this so thank you for doing that okay if you could pick one main message that you want people to walk away with today what would that be i would say that one liner to treat people right and also i would say this life is a is a journey and we cannot be looking at it in silos we have to look at it as a whole and we have to figure out a way to bypass and forgive the people that has done wrong things to us and just to start to embrace love. Yeah, I, I think that's a great, great last message for people to have. Well, we are starting to run out of time, but I just want to ask you a few more questions. Sure. Um, just a couple of fun things. Are, are you a reader by chance? Not so much, but, you know, a, a sparing reader for sure. <laughs> yes. Now, have you read any books about, like, the topic of, you know, prisons or mass incarceration or recidivism that you want to recommend people if they want to learn more about this topic? I would say there is a book called Are You Dancing in the Rain? Uh-huh. And it is a book that I wrote. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. And the thing is, it's talking about like my journey and how God just like led me into this uh-huh. and what got me to get started with the Proverbs 2 to 6. Sure. And what is the issue and how we can resolve and so on. So that's one good resource that I could think of. Yeah. But also, I know that Chuck Colson has written tons of books on this uh-huh. very same subject. Um, they're really, really good book to good books to read. Look for Chuck Colson. I have a huge respect for him and Prison Fellowship. That's another ministry that's doing an amazing job okay. uh, inside the prison walls. Cool. I actually hadn't heard of him or his organization before, so I'm glad you brought that up. And an aspiring reader, but a writer. I'm not sure how you have time for all these things. <laughs> I, the thing is, like, uh, you know, it has to be a passion. You know, when Greeks die, they don't ask the person how much he had and uh, uh, what did he possess and so on. They always ask, did he have a passion? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think if you have a passion, the time stops and uh, you can do a lot more. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I like that. What about, do you like listening to like podcasts or watching documentaries or anything like that? Any recommendations there? Absolutely. Recently, there's one documentary. I I definitely love to, you know, listen uh, whenever I'm on the road. I'm listening to yeah. uh, all these preachers and the uh, messages and the podcast. Yeah. Of late, you know, I've been um, so fascinated by so many of these readers. I mean, so many of these uh, amazing people doing work and I get to hear them on places like podcasts, you know where even sometimes 
we think of heroes as like someone that has done amazing work and crusades and Billy Grahams of the world. But mm-hmm. oftentimes the heroes are these simple ones who are doing amazing work on their day-to-day life. Yeah, definitely. What are some of your favorite podcasts that you would recommend to people? Um, there's not one, but, uh, you know, uh, NPR has like a, several of them yeah. um, that I would ask uh, to search on that one. Okay. I also like the recent documentary called 13. It's a documentary movie. Yes, yes, I've seen this. Yeah, and it does talk about a lot of these things that I'm talking about. Right. You know, we've been talking about this for nearly 10, 12 years now, but some of those Uh things are documented well in movies like 13. Absolutely. I would also really recommend that documentary. I really didn't know much about this topic before watching that, so great recommendation. Okay, so how can people, last question, how can people find you or learn more about Proverbs 226 and all the work that you guys are doing there? Do you have some links you could share? Very, very simple. Two places, proverbs226.org. That's our website. And then the second one is, I actually recommend the second one much better, facebook.com slash proverbs226. Okay. One word, Proverbs 26, one word. And the thing is that after every event, I, I go there and put pictures in there, the stories. It's always there's a lot of people come in, look at it and comment. One one time I had like about 365,000 people respond wow. to one of the posts that I did on Facebook. Oh my gosh. And so there's a lot of people following there, 137,000 people post clicked yeah. because somebody shared. Wow. And so the, the, that's the second place I would recommend. And the, the third one, I would say, if you want to get involved, info, I-N-F-O, mm-hmm. info at proverbs226.org. If you send an email to it, someone from our team will be more than happy to respond. All right. That's awesome. Well, I'm sure after this episode airs, you're going to have some inquiries because it's clear that you guys are doing really amazing things and it has real proven results. So I just, I really appreciate you being willing to take time out of your busy schedule that I know is very busy, but just to to teach us about this problem, but to also show us that there is a real solution and yeah, there is hope. So I really appreciate that. And I'm really excited to follow along with the journey of what you guys are doing and, and see more of these success stories. Absolutely. And um, thank you so much for having me today on your podcast and I wish you well and a great success in this journey as well. Thank you so much. Whether or not you knew about this topic already, I hope you see that there is hope. There is a relevant way not just to solve the problem, but to prevent it from ever even happening. So what are the action steps that you can take? Well, for one, there's always volunteering and donating, which I know Cyril would greatly appreciate, but there are other organizations, no matter where you live, that I'm sure you can find to help out. Thinking about voting as our elections approach, and this isn't just for people in the US, but people all over the world. Looking at prison systems in your country and figuring out what candidates are handling this issue correctly, but then even just pouring into kids in your community. Whether or not you're a parent or a teacher, there are children around you who need our help. So think about how you can serve those around you. Most of you probably know already that February is Black History Month. I wanted to talk about this because, as Cyril and I referenced, this issue does have something to do with race. As we mentioned, there are unequal numbers of people of color in prison when we look at the ratios of how many people are in this country. Cyril also mentioned the circumstances that placed so many people in jail in the 80s and 90s. And I just wanted to expand on this because these circumstances aren't simply by chance, but do have something to do with our nation's history. If we think about the history of racism in the US, the civil rights movement was in the 1960s. The war on drugs was in the 1980s. So think about racism and discrimination and the people who do actually have racist beliefs. Racism and discrimination did not just simply end with the Civil Rights Act passing. We can't simply say that there are more people of color in prison today because all cops are racist or something like that. 
It really has to do with systemic racism in our country and the history that we have with race. So if you're not quite sure what I'm talking about, I highly recommend that you ask questions or read a book to learn more about our nation's history and how we can't simply undo the damage that was done long ago. We're still in recovery from our past sins and mass incarceration is a part of that. I liked how Cyril explained that this isn't simply a race issue though. Mass incarceration does not discriminate against race or gender, but it does target our most vulnerable populations, like children who are being raised by single parents, for example. Like I said, I really recommend that you learn more about this topic because we can't simply cover it in one hour, but I hope this opened your eyes to want to learn more. Check out my Instagram account for some book recommendations. Check out Cyril's book. Check out the documentary that we referenced. There are so many things to learn about this. And you know what I always say, knowledge is power. This crisis is affecting all of us, no matter who we are or no matter what our families look like, no matter our income levels and how much taxes we pay, this crisis is worth our attention. But I hope you were inspired just like I was by Cyril in learning that there is truly hope. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review while you're checking out the show notes. Those are available on my website or on the platform that you're listening to, and that's also where you can leave that rating. And make sure you subscribe too. I have some good content coming up that I'm so excited to share, some announcements coming up as well. Next month, my interview is with Rachel George, who is a sweet new friend of mine, and we're talking about grief and loss. You're not going to want to miss hearing her story. It's such an unbelievable and yet inspiring story that God has made such beauty out of. So trust me, you're going to want to hear that. In the meantime, go read a book, read something different, and learn more about this topic. Think about how you can serve your community and those who are most vulnerable in it, and keep seeking to get enlightened. Peace out! Baby, was all I could see. That's